Yeah. Alright guys, how are we all doing? Alright everyone, welcome to the show. This is our second live show that we've done. Uh, thank you all for making it along and just to prove to everyone listening that we have a live audience in front of us, everyone's going to give me a massive cheer right now. That was good, that's well right. Done, you like that? Well done. I, I didn't think that was going to go down as well as so. that did. Oh, no, no. So that was kind of cool. Uh, but great to have you guys here. Thank you so much for coming along. Uh, and we are recording now, by the way, guys. So feel free to heckle Daz as much as you want. Uh, for those listening, we are at Wildcat in Edinburgh, one of Daz's favourite whiskey haunts. Great wee spot in the heart of Edinburgh, and thank you to Cam for allowing us to take over the bar for the night. Uh, great to be here. We're probably going to sample some of his, I think it's 130 whiskeys he's got behind the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we might sample a mm -hmm. few of them afterwards. Uh, but before we get into exactly what we're going to do in this episode, I'm going to hand over to the one they call Daz. The man, the myth, the legend in his own mind, no. to explain exactly what is going on this evening. There was almost a compliment there, Mitch. Almost, Thank you like very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we, we start most of our podcast episodes with me getting an absolute slagging from Mitch. So it's at least <laughs> you're consistent, sir. Thank you very much. Look, we're very excited about this episode. We have one of the superstars of whiskey with us. And actually, there's a, there's a few in the room as well, which is very nice. Mr. Deval Gandhi. Fabulous whiskey maker, uh, worked with him in the past over at McAllen, now looking after lakes and many projects. Um, fabulous to have you along, sir. Mark Thompson, who was the host of our very first live. Popped our cherry. He did, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm still tasting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pete Allison, whiskey maker over at Woven, of course, as well. Fabulous to have you along. No, no questions from Pete this time, though. Yeah, no questions from Pete, absolutely. We've got Mitch Beshard, and of course we have the fabulous whiskey writer that is Dave Broom. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Now... Dave, Dave's been very gracious with his time. We know you've been very busy. <laughs> gracious. Yeah, very yeah, gallivanting. The royal family. I know. <laughs> Whiskey royalty. I've already told you. You've been travelling around the world and you've managed right. to squeeze us in, which is fabulous. Um, what we're here to do is we're going to talk about Dave's new book, A Sense of Place, which I know you've been working really, really hard on. We're going to look a little bit into the, the inspiration of the book, where it came from. Sure. Your angle, and we're going to have a few whiskies as we go along, Dave. So I hope that's perfect. all right. Does that so sound okay? Absolutely perfect absolutely to me. Absolutely brilliant. So tell us just a wee bit about A Sense of Place. Oh, cool. Uh, it, it, it's, that's a weird one, really, Dad, because the best way to describe what the book's about is to say what it's not about. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> we need a whiskey, don't it's we? Not a book, uh, it's not a book about business history. No. Nope. Uh, it's not a book about every distillery in Scotland. It's not a book about tasting notes. It's certainly got no bloody scores in it. Yeah. Uh, it's a book which looks at people, place, community, sustainability, uh, the role that whiskey has played within Scotland. I, I, I like the idea of connections. I like looking for connections. And yeah. I think as soon as you begin looking at whiskey and stop seeing it as being this thing that exists out with everybody's lives, you know, where does whiskey start? Where does whiskey finish? You know, is it, does it... Does it start with a farmer, start with a forester? Is it even further out than that? And I think as soon as you begin looking at that big picture and seeing the connections and looking at what a distillery means to a place, then suddenly you get a different vision of what whiskey has been and what whiskey is becoming again. So yeah. that's kind of what it's about. It's very philosophical. It's, 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 yeah, yeah, that sounds yeah, like yeah. Dreadfully, <laughs> dreadfully pretentious. Yeah. But uh, I, I, there's a lot of kind of big things in there. Uh, it was a road trip, essentially. Uh, myself and my great friend, Christina Kernahan, who's a phenomenal photographer, went from north to south, went from Orkney to Isla. Yeah. Uh, so the book is kind of a road trip, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, so we had a lot of laughs in the way. So, yeah, there's plenty of laughs in there and great pictures. There are some good pictures yeah. in it. That's what I like, and Daz particularly likes that. Yeah, because yeah, that's the guy who can't read. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's quite handy. <laughs> so, Dave, let's talk about you, just to rewind a little mm. bit, um, you know, about you, your kind of background. When we wrote the kind of script, the rough script script to this, Daz was like, yeah, Dave Broom, whiskey writer from Glasgow. I did a little bit of a better job. I like to think, right? So I'm going to do this, and correct me if I'm wrong here, right, Dave? Um, so for those that, that haven't spent some time with Dave or, or know his kind of background, he is obviously a drinks writer, journalist, and lover of all things tasty. He's fascinated by people and place and their impact on their favorite tipples. 
born and edu educated in Glasgow. You've got a degree in English from Stirling University, right? And then after that, or I don't know if you did this during the, the degree, but you spent seven years on Odbins. Was that right after the degree? No, that was immediately after it. Yeah, right, I mean, so, who, who wants to employ an English graduate? Oh, yeah, I was going to say that English thing <laughs> did really well, right? Yeah, like, from go, go work at Odbins yeah. for seven years. <laughs> um, so then afterwards, you, you start... Well, during that time, you were chatting about... You, you were writing about jazz and left-field right. music because right. you're big into your music as well, yeah, right? weird stuff. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of cool. And then you moved down to Bristol where you became a, a pub landlord. Yes. It's kind of cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Time that, in that, your life. That kind of eccentric period in my life. So, so yeah. the, dr the drinks thing yeah. is still going on. Yep. Uh, and then you move into this kind of editorial. I see here, Mitch. <laughs> you see this, you move into this editorial piece where you're um, doing uh, the off-license news editor. Like, yeah, off -license no, news, I was features right? editor off-license news yeah. for another seven years. <laughs> it's a seven, seven, seven years? Seven years stretch. I see what's going on. Seven year itch. And then it was 1995 when you really started to become a drinks uh, writer. That, that's when I went right? freelance. I went over to Australia, yeah, yeah. worked in some wineries over there, came back and realised there was more opportunities to write about spirits. And, you know, 95, you've you got to think, uh, what was happening then? Single malt was just beginning to take off. Mm -hmm. Bars were just beginning to open. The whole cocktail scene was beginning uh, to happen. And there was hundreds of wine writers, but there was only about three people writing about spirits. But there was this whole field that was fascinating to explore. So yeah. I was lucky. I was in the right, you know, the right place well, at the right time. I, I don't basically. think yeah. luck has anything to do with it. And, you know, that's um, a testament to the awards that you've had. You've been on TV shows numerous. You're now a master keeper of the quake. Mm. We have to bow to you because we're only normal ones. So, um, um, yeah, and then, you know, two films as well. Keep in a Bottle and Amber Light, which Amber is Light. just out on Netflix. Yes. Which is absolutely, do you guys watch yes. Amber Light yet? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. You guys like it? Yeah. Yeah, Good. absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, it's been interesting the, the, the Netflix thing because people keep sending me screenshots of their Netflix screen because you know the Netflix algorithm. You know, and it says you know, if you if you like this film that you've been watching, you might like this. And Amber Light's in there, and it's usually next to zombie movies and vampires. <laughs> <laughs> so I get a great, great idea of the demographic of, of the people who, who who enjoy films about whiskey. Brilliant. Yeah, they are zombie lovers. Should we start drinking? Yeah, we haven't had a dram yet. So we're going to start off with uh, a little bit of Johnny Walker, but we've upgraded you guys. We're going to do some Johnny Walker Gold Label. Nice. I think one of the things that we talk about on the show a lot, Dave, is, is blends and their mm -hmm. place within Scotch whiskey. And I think they're overlooked by a lot of single malt drinkers. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, what do you think? What's your opinion on that? No, I agree. I agree. You know, I, I, I love blends. I love blending. I love blenders. Uh, the Scotch whiskey industry would be nowhere if it wasn't for blends. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's a simple fact. These distilleries would not exist if it wasn't for yeah. blends. So yeah, a, a huge amount of time for them. I, I think they're versatile, they're complex, they, they tell incredible stories. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, people should drink more blends. They're just brilliant. People and we've should got, drink more blends. And we've got great blenders in the room here tonight. We, yes, yeah. we, we do. And that, that's, that's we one have of the Jota things. Tanaka from Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come Absolutely. up here specially <laughs> just for this event. <laughs> yeah. It's a long way to come. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll put the, the, the Fuji whiskies in later, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But gold, gold's great. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I'm a big fan of uh, Johnny Walker Gold. I, I, it's a re re really weird thing that if you look at Red Label, Red Label tastes kind of red, you know, it's all kind of spicy. Yeah. And, and black tastes black, but it's dark fruits. And gold tastes gold, you know, it's mm. all that kind of sumptuous, soft, gentle vanilla and golden mm. fruit. Green tastes very green. Mm, yeah, the whole thing yeah, falls fresh, down. Right? Yeah. The whole thing falls down with blue, right enough. But <laughs> up until up until that point, you know, yeah, they almost got it right. Yeah, they almost got it right. Yeah, King George V smells of King George V. <laughs> <laughs> That's an absolute fact. That was the brief. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, no, no. I mean, the blends are you know bizarrely underrated uh, in, in this country, but I think it's beginning to change. Yeah, and I think the opening of, of the big Johnny Walker. Experience in the Princess Street. Where, where is that? We'll help that. Is it? It's, it's a wee thing on the corner. It's a wee shop. It's a wee shop. Yeah. You probably would walk past it. Uh, yeah, I would. Yeah, windows, I yeah. can't see yeah. that high anyway. That's probably why. <laughs> but look, the, we normally, when we read whiskey books, and, and you know, we, there's lots of whiskey writers, we can come on to some of your inspirations and mm. some of your peers sure. who you look at and things like that. But we always look at tasting notes and fermentation time and say, how many stills were at that distillery and things like that. You've, you've avoided a lot of that. Aye in a sense of place and that's why we kind of started with a blend actually because we don't really need to go into mm. all of that kind of detail it's much more about the stories of the individuals yeah. uh, what impact they had not just on the distilleries but the cultures that they existed within when we talk about Kilmarnock of course uh, where you're from and um, 
the, the story with walkers and things. And the blends play a big part in that, don't they, in terms of a sense of place. It's not just about single malt distilleries. No, yeah. no. I, I, it was an interesting chapter, that, because I wanted to get blends in there. And I was kind of asking myself, you know, if, if this works, you know, if it can show that blends can also have a sense of place, then, then, then I think that's, you know, the job, well, not job done, but, you know, I think the, the, the argument holds. Uh, and you look at the way that the blends were set up in the 19th century, and you look at the style of Walker, you know, Walker's signature, was based around West Coast whiskies because you think of transport in those days. And why was Chivas style established in the way it was? Because it was closer to the Speyside whiskies, which even in those days tended to be slightly lighter. So there was, in, even in the 19th century, this idea that there was this regional style beginning to develop uh, within blends itself. And I, I interviewed Jim, uh, Jim Beveridge and Emma Walker for the book and asking them about their, their idea. And they were going, well, well, a blend is actually a blend of Scotland. A blend is a blend of all these, of these distilleries, which in their own right have this idea of a place of being this character you can only get from this one particular community. Yeah. Uh, and that's what blending is about. Blending is about bringing all of that together. So, so there's... There's wonderful kind of metaphors there. There, yeah. uh, it has but, changed yeah, though, hasn't it? Blends yeah. when you think about it. I mean, if you went up to Perth as a good example, Bye. right? Old blending town. Sure. Um, once upon a time, I worked for for Edrington, famous grouse, but the blending had gone away from there Bye. by that point. But you, you felt that at a, po at a point in time, probably in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, these towns which were home to these blends. The blends were really important oh, to the area, vital. to the town itself, not Aye. just you know where it was being consumed, where it was being made. It was massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely. You know, my, most of my family was from Perth, and you know I, I would go up to, to Perth and you know the, you know the Glasgow Fair or you know mm. holidays or whatever, and I'd meet my cousins on Dewar's Corner, yeah. you know, and we'd go to the Bell's shopping centre, yeah, Bell's sports centre, you know, and in Glasgow, you know, you, you kind of navigated your way by warehouses and, and, and whiskey, you know, and it was just all around you in, the, mm. in those days. And there was that kind of wider sense that the whiskey was part of the fabric of, of the town because it was given such great employment. Kilmarnock would be a, a great example of that. Yeah. You know, so, and that was kind of, that began to kind of disappear. Uh, and that was, one, that was also one of the questions, you know, that, mm. that has the, as the whiskey industry got bigger uh, and perhaps more centralised and more branded, was this idea of an identity to a, a specific place, was that getting diluted or was that kind of getting frayed? Mm -hmm. So, so that, that was a challenge to see, you know, if that was the case or whether it was actually coming back. Yeah. I think it's now coming back again. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we'll come to that. Yeah, um, no, but that's the emotional roller coaster, if you ah, like, of it all. Exactly. And that's, yeah. that's what you're very much focused on. It's less the, the rational stuff, much more the emotional stuff, which is... Yeah. <laughs> yes. But it's, it's, it's yeah. good. I like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah and you, you can't good. get it wrong, which is important. Yeah, well, you know... As I mean, a man yeah. who studied English, it's <laughs> yeah, a bit of interpretation. <laughs> well, I, 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 did, I did actually have to pull myself off at one point. Uh, I think it was... A, the, I was heading west, and we were heading west into the peninsulas. And I realised, you know, I was writing the first draft of the chapter, and there was way too much Gaelic poetry in there. You know, there was an awful lot of Gaelic poetry, uh, which I love. Not not being a Gaelic speaker, but I do love 18th century uh, Gaelic poetry. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Trust me. There is there is relevant to the great story, the kind of forgotten story of whiskey. Yeah. Uh, which kind of came out of a lot of work that Arthur and I. Have been doing for uh, Antiquarian. This it's good plug, I, by the way. Good plug. Another rival. No, 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 we don't do videos. You know, we, we, we talk about whiskey history, and the whiskey history kind of starts with 1823, and before that, it's all this kind of romantic, smuggly stuff, which wasn't that romantic. It was probably hellish, you know. Uh, but before that, it's like dark ages, nothing happened. But actually, there's like 200, 300 years of whiskey making that, that's going on there. And the only way you can find out about that is by looking at not whiskey texts, because nobody's writing whiskey books, but they were writing poetry and they were singing songs and they were telling stories. So it's all there and it's all in Gaelic. You know, so this completely forgotten world of whiskey, which was destroyed with the Highland clearances and was changed and probably for the better mm. uh, with, with the growth of the modern whiskey industry. But all of that's been lost. So yeah, there was a lot of Gaelic poetry that I had to kind of rein back on. Yeah. 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 I think on that subject, Dave, like talking about inspiration, when you write a book, I mean, I think this is your 35th book now. Is that right? <laughs> There's my researcher over there. That, that told me that. Yeah. Yeah. It's four, uh, 14th. Yeah. 14th. Uh, this year. Okay. Yeah. This year. <laughs> <laughs> 
So where does that inspiration come from? And how does that, what does the inside yeah. of Dave Broom's mind look oh, like Jesus. when he writes a book? Is it a scary place? Is it oh, something that we want to know about? Or? It's, it's a profoundly scary place. How, how do you, uh, so how do you go about setting out, you know, when you, when you start yeah. writing a book? I mean, the, the, this idea has kind of been rattling about in my brain for about 10 years or so. Right. Uh, and in some ways it led into Amber Light, but this book isn't the, um, you know, the book of the film kind of thing. But, you know, this idea of whiskey being a cultural product rather than, as I said, you know, this thing that sits out with our lives, it's part of our lives. Uh, so it's been kind of rattling around there for a wee while. So I suppose that's where inspiration came from. And in terms of whiskey, you know, it was, it was talking to distillers. You know, you know, essentially, my job is just talking to people and asking them why and then writing down the answers. You know, it's as simple as that. You know, so it's asking people like, like Jim Beveridge or, or Emma or any, any of the, the great distillers out there, Jota, uh, all the great distillers, you know, why, what are you doing, why are you doing it? Not the what, but the why, mm. uh, I'm, I'm really interested in. And this idea of connections, that this idea of, you know, that whiskey is a manifestation of, of, of this place and, and of the conditions, you know, the reason that, that Scotland makes whiskey is because of its geology and its climate. That means that barley can grow, and because barley can grow, you can make beer, and because beer can be made, you can distill it. Uh, it's why we kicked off in Orkney, you know, mm -hmm. and why we kicked off in the Neolithic. Not that they were distilling, but whiskey's story, for me, starts with somebody consciously putting a seed of barley into the ground in Orkney, for example. I've worked with some of the guys. Yeah, the and, 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 and they're still you, there. You would think they're they were from the Neolithic, there. to be honest. <laughs> they're still there. They're still there. Yeah. <laughs> and all. But, you know, there you have it, and, and they're there, and they're settled, and they're sitting down, and they've built a, they've built a settlement, a town, a city even, mm. Nessa Brodgar. They're doing art, they're brewing. They live there, mm. sense of place. And that's where whiskey's coming from. So that's what I wanted to, to write about. Uh, but yeah, in the process of writing, yeah, it gets, it gets fairly tangled up in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that there's, yeah, I'm not looking at whiskey history, I'm looking at all these other things. Yeah. You know, so yeah, yeah there, there's lots of, lots of untangling. Uh, and on being, that point, done. <laughs> after watching Amber Light and ah. reading Sense of Place, there seems to be quite a bit of similarity mm -hmm. in the two. So which came first? Uh, the idea of Sense of Place came first. Okay. Uh, then I was kind of chatting around this idea to Adam, who's the director of uh, uh, Amber Light, and we decided to make the film. And so the film was kind of looking at this, the role that whiskey has played in Scottish culture. Mm. Uh, so that was the angle there. And off the back of that, I had then written a book uh, about Japanese whiskey, uh, which Jota very kindly helped with, uh, which was looking at what makes Japanese whiskey Japanese and the connections between the mindset of a Japanese distiller and blender and the mindset of a Japanese artist, because you know, there's real, really fascinating parallels between, between the two. And the publisher quite liked it. And the book did okay. Uh, and they went, well, we'd quite like another one. I went, well, I've got this idea for a book about Scotch that I've been kind of punting to you for the past 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> can I, put, can I please do it now? <laughs> uh, and, and lo and behold, yeah, it's, yeah that's what happened. Yeah. Fantastic. Went. How's the uh, Johnny Walker Gold one down? Yeah, it is nice, isn't it? It's a gorgeous it's drum. This is one of the old ones that Mitch stole from Diageo back in the day. Um, so it was Actually, the, I think we both stole it. That, yeah, it was like a secret stash that we had, but you just drunk yours quicker after than the me. Johnny Walker Championship. So there was always a few cases went to the side. Uh, it's the old 18-year-old gold label. Yeah. Um, and back then, they used to credit, and you, you'll probably know more about this, but back then, they used to credit Klein Leash as being the heart of Johnny Walker Gold, which is where this lovely waxy kind of mouth coating uh, sensation seems to come from but yeah it very much does remind you of of what you would think a whiskey if it was to be presented in gold yes. would kind of taste yeah. like yeah. Kind of yeah. mellow bit, no edges no. Um, it's a, it's nice medium finish blend. yeah mm. yeah it's, it's lovely mm. should we move on to the next strand yes so the next one's going to be uh, second to you we're going to go left to right I know some of you guys were struggling with that I'm not looking at anyone in particular <laughs> I can see Stu's face <laughs> two hands <laughs> so we're, Dave we're going to move on to a bit of Rassi which I know Aye. you've done a little bit of work with and you talk yeah. about this in the book as well so you want to you take us through this and what these guys are doing yeah. here and how it relates to yeah. the book yeah Rassi I've been lucky enough to, to go up to Rassi uh, kind of since, since it opened really uh and it's an extraordinary story, and, and, and the, the story of Razi and, and other whiskies, which we're going to have later, like Nain and what's happening in Harris, etc., are just amazing stories. And, and it, the wider story is one that needs to be kind of explained and talked about and celebrated, because 
Razi, you had an island where, which has been depopulated, ageing population, no careers for the kids. So you're saying with Torre Vague, you know, any, any kind of western, you know, western isles, you know, or, or mainland. Distillery comes along, all of a sudden, boom, there's jobs and there's careers. And because of that, that ripples, that ripples out because then tourists come in and there's, uh, you know, there can be a hotel, there can be craft, there, the, the, the kids can stay, families can stay, the school stays open, the doctor's surgery remains open and stuff. Suddenly the community benefits from the fact that a distillery exists in this place. Uh, and that is a really, really powerful thing uh, to, to, to begin to understand, that it's not just this this place making whiskey. Mm. It's actually a hub for an entire community, you know, an entire an entire area. Especially in you know in, in part of Scotland that has been suffering from ludicrous levels of underinvestment. You know, mm. you know get you know, getting serious for a minute. That that you know the fact that there are these distilleries opening up in Sky and Razzie and Harris and Ardenburg and, and Morven, etc. etc. Uh, is really, really important. Really important to, to, to Scotland. And the fact they're making amazing whiskey is even better, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the way they're doing it and, and the, the freedom of thought and the freedom of expression that, that, that's taking place in, in these new distilleries is just absolutely joyous, you know. So it's, it's great to go back to Razi every year just to see how things are, are progressing. Yeah. Mm. yeah, the new distilleries in these areas are really important, aren't they? And, and, and it is the... What I'm really curious about is... What happens to them? Do they become established single malt whiskey brands? Do they become part of modern blends? You know, at what point does a, a Rassi become part of a Johnny Walker Black Label, say? You know, and and, and that's going to evolve over time. And you know, I'm always curious to know from a blender's point of view, when do these new distilleries become great tools for them to build? You know, yeah, the, yeah, the established it, it, it's an interesting one that does actually because I think the difference is that the. The model in the past was that a distillery existed to serve as a blend. Mm. So there was very, very few which actually said, right, right, so our entire production is just going into, into single malt. But all the new distilleries who are opening up are making single malt. Yeah. And as a result, there's, there's a freedom of thought. You know, so they're not making a specific style because the blender wants them to go, right, that's your character, fine, stick that, that's what mm. we're going to be buying. They can go, whee! We can do whatever we want, you know, we, we can find our style and we are a single malt and we are restricted by our size and that's not a problem. Yeah. We're just going to make the best whiskey that we can um, and, yeah, yeah, ha have that kind of joyous freedom of, 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 of ability to, mm. to, to make great whiskey. Mm. And I, I think that's what's happening at, at Razi. So I, I don't see them becoming part of the whole kind of fillings thing, mm. which is important. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah. There are others that are right. I mean, aye, aye. I'm sure yeah. Borders Distillery and guys Borders like that, doing, you yeah, know, yeah. Inch Dairney mm, are yeah. doing it, but also keeping back their own for, for, for their own. Yeah. But but you know, these guys are saying, no, this is what we're doing. Boom. Thank mm. you very much. Mm. There's a nice sweetness to it, isn't there? There's it's a, it's, a, it's yeah. a really. I think this drinks a lot older than it actually is. Yeah, oh. it's a really com it's a complex mix. So it's, it's peated and unpeated spirit, uh, and you know, three different types of cask and you know, different levels of blending between between them all. Mark. Years ago, when new distilleries were just starting, hmm. take something like English Whiskey Company, ah. they were aiming to produce a spirit that they knew in 10 years' time would mellow out to be a, a, a great draft. Do you see a change now of younger distilleries not encumbered by that, yeah. where, where they're producing spirit to drink right now, yes. even though it's at three years old, four years old, five years old? Whereas in the past, I think, personally working with a lot of distilleries back then, 15 years ago, that were just opening up, they were almost apologetic at releasing something because they're like, well, you know, it's, it's got to give it eight years and it'll be where we want it yeah. to be. Whereas I think something like Rassi and, and, and Torveig and yeah. a lot of the Arnamarchins, yeah. they're, they're, they're using casks now to create those spirits that are drinkable and approachable and, and you know, really worthy of, of, of praise. Yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. Uh, you know, and, and it's a very conscious commercial decision. You know, you know, it, you know, enough is known about how whiskey is made and then matures. You know, that if you need to get your product out relatively quickly for financial reasons, uh, you know, and you're careful about the casks you choose and you still produce something which is complex and interesting and balanced and not just, you know, overwhelmed by wood, uh, you can do it at, at a young age. 
What's going to be really interesting, and you know, talking to Alistair at, at, at Razi, is you know what's going on in the refill casks, which he's really excited about. You know, so behind all of this, which is coming out as young whiskey, you know these casks are emptied, but they're getting refilled, and you know, so there's a long-term plan as well. Uh, so it's not just, but we're only going to be doing it in young whiskey. I think some distilleries might just continue to do young whiskeys, yeah. but but uh, I, I know certainly in Razi's case, you know, there's there's. They can play a number of different tunes on it. But I agree 100%. A lot of it comes from just greater understanding of wood. Yeah. I mean, you, you look what Deval has been doing at, at Lakes. You know, astounding whiskies uh, coming out at, at, at young age because of that understanding of, of wood and the way that you can use wood, not for wood's sake, but actually from a flavour point of view. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's fascinating. And I actually, just picking up on that, uh, picking up on my own point. Uh, <laughs> keep going, Dave, keep going. <laughs> fascinating, fascinating point, this. Yeah, I think you're yeah. yourself. <laughs> Thank you very much, yes. Very glad. <laughs> I, I can't even remember what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, but go. I was just going to add to what you said, yeah. because going back to that sense of place, you talk about lakes, it's a couple of things. that I was at Stowning two weeks ago. Yeah. Great example of that. Aye. They've made a style of spirit, fruity, quite bold, matures quickly four or five years six years maybe and they don't really have any interest no, in maturing beyond no, that they're, they're, because they're, they don't have to right I mean the, the exactly. style of whiskey they're producing and it kind of it makes me think of um, Dr. Jin Swam yeah. when, when he was helping distilleries um, he's not here anymore unfortunately but when he was helping distilleries one of the things that was kind of his fingerprint that you could tell he'd been there was fruity well maturing yeah. spirit fast maturing spirit that, that, that dealt well at four and five years old yeah. and actually tasted brilliant and, yeah. and you could have you could be mistaken for thinking that's a 10 year old thing I'm off from yeah, a, yeah. a more established distiller you know yeah exactly yeah, mm. I mean Jim's influence was huge I, I have remembered what, what I was going to say there but which is I think distillers have got much wider wider view now so in the past you know Scotch whiskey was guilty not guilty because it was essentially the only big whiskey industry in the world of just being inward looking. So you know, that was the model, that was the paradigm, this is what we have to do, because this is what we've always done for that like 100 years. But I think the new distillers are now going, well, what's happening in Denmark? What's happening in Japan? Oh, yeah. you know, what, what, you know, what about all these techniques? This idea that there's scotch and then there's everybody else uh, is not only hugely patronising, it's just not true. You know, Scotch is just part of this thing called the world of whisky. Uh, and I think... You're looking at, you, you talk to a lot of the, the new Scotch distillers and they're using techniques that would, which are not out of place in Japan. Yeah. Get yeah. So, so there's this, this greater kind of cross fertilization across the world. Sorry, you, you interrupted me. That's just the last cow, is it? Uh, four or five. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. I think that probably the other thing is implementing <coughs> the technology of distillation so you can control. The distillate to a much more finer, uh, have a much more finer control on the distillate to get what you want to get, which allows you to the wood to do half the work. You know, you don't have to have a sulfury, meaty, big spirit with a lot of impurities or a lot of congeners that you want to take it out. If you try to manage it in the beginning uh, through a distillate, all you have to do is just use the wood in the right way to get the flavor and complexity you require. So I think. There's a big development in the technology and the way we use those technologies for distillation as well as the wood. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point, Deval. And, and it's interesting, you know, talking to Alistair at, at Razi, you know, he's saying that, you know, as far as, as, far as he, he knows, he's a very humble guy, I mean, yeah, but as far as he knows, Razi is the first distillery that was designed by a blender, <laughs> you know. So there's lots of bells and whistles there. There's lots of levers that you can pull, you know, cooling jackets that can be on or off, changing reflux, etc., etc. You know, purifier pipes off or on, you know, so you can make all these different flavours. So you can be blending, you know, the whole distillery is set up to do that, uh, which which I think is fascinating. You know, so mm. again, we're back to blends. Yeah, yeah, back to blends and and going back to the past. Hindsight's wonderful. Uh, so new distillers have that. They have the benefit of that, and certainly. Um, the new distilleries do, but as we move on to our third whiskey, uh, a distillery that has a, a lot of heritage and history, which is Highland Park. Um, and you like Highland Park, and I, I know it's a distillery that you're very fond of. Um, great whiskey, always. What's your sort of ideas when it comes to the older distilleries? And in, in, in your, your book, you talk a little bit about a few of them as well, Highland Park being one of them. Mm. 
Being the first one. Being the first one. Right at the yeah. start, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we, we started up, up top, you know, so, so it was good good to get, you know, that idea of, you know, the Neolithic in the past and, you know, Highland Park. Just I, I think there's also something about the physicality of Highland Park, the design of it, you know, it just seems to have been there forever, you know, and it just kind of sits there on top of the hill like some sort of weird medieval town and it's, you know and it's it's not been planned it's a complete unplanned distillery you know oh we need another building it's just gonna you know it's all over the shop and i, I love it for that and one of the guys that, that took us around alan uh, sort of said have you been here before and i went yeah i've been here a few times and he said when was the first time said, you know you know a long long time ago you know 80s or 90s or something has anything changed? I went, no. He went, good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and there's a positive side to that and a negative side to that. But I think it's important for these distilleries. You know, they have a distillery character. They have a distillery style. And that is what they do. And that is what they do brilliantly. It can change. It can adjust. It can be tweaked. But, it, you know, it is Highland Park, you know. Mm. But, and it was interesting talking to the guys that there that as it's got bigger... Uh, and I think it was a really important point that they felt, and this is the guys who are, who are living there, they felt that it was begin, becoming separated from the town. Mm. You know, that people in Orkney drank Scapa, not Highland Park, and they were kind of the distillery in the hill, and the tourists bought it, but it wasn't, it kind of ceased to be the, the Arcadian whiskey. And they're doing a lot of work to actually try and re-establish connections with the community again. Uh, which I thought was really heartening because mm. cause it's quite easy, I think, for a distillery to suddenly become big and impersonal and a global brand, but actually lose a degree of integrity. Mm. Uh, but that's what they're trying to do. Excellent. It's, it's, yeah, it, it was great. You know, it, it's just it's a fantastic, fantastic still. Got a question? I was just going to ask this whole um, about the distilleries doing their own thing and perhaps experimenting. I mean, I know Glenfiddich is doing some experimental series and uh, Lindors is doing different casks. Do you think that's really the distilleries saying we want to try new things, or do you think they're answering a demand in in whiskey drinkers wanting something more creative? Is it more a chicken or an egg? I I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. You know, I I I think. I think the Scotch whisky industry has woken up to the fact that there are a lot of great whiskies being made around the world. You know, it's not difficult to make good whisky. You know, you know, is you know, you shouldn't be making bad whisky. So I, I think there is. I was speaking to you know, I was supposed to be, I was speaking with Emma Walker last week, uh, and she was saying that. Uh, and again, I think it was something that Jim Jim Beveridge had told her. That, you know that that. 1820s, like the building of the Scotch whisky industry, the, you know, the less, rest of the 19th century was, was kind of the age of, of technology and industrialisation and, you know, the building of plant and engineering coming in. And then kind of from the 50s on was the, the era of science where, where science came in and began to pull whisky apart and understand what the chemical reactions were and everything else. And she was saying that we're now at the start of a new era of whisky, you know, because all of that is understood. And now I think it's, I think there's a sense of freedom uh, to some extent that, you know, we've got all the information, we've got all the technical stuff, we've got all the scientific stuff. We can play, I, actually, and almost kind of that's at the back of the mind. We can now play. I think that is very much the mindset of a new generation of distillers around the world and certainly in Scotland as well. Mm -hmm. So some of it's coming from the distillery. I think some is coming from consumer demand as well. But as long as... It's not just a kind of copy. It's got oh, 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 they've done that. We we need to do that as well because you can't do that with, with with whiskey because even if it's young, it still takes time, you know. And by the time you know your three year old whiskey that was answering that consumer demand three years ago is out, that's gone. You know, everybody's drinking something else. Oh no, 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 come back, you know. So so you know, I, I think you know again there has to be there has to be an understanding of what the flavours are going to be and there has to be long-term thinking about it. But I think there is a greater, there's a greater degree of creativity and creative thinking in, in Scotch whisky. Uh, certainly, you know, in my 30 odd years in, in, in the trade, I haven't seen it. Uh, I'm not as excited. I've never been as excited. Uh, that, that, that's probably a better way of putting it. Uh, there's a lot of really good stuff happening. Yeah, I'd agree with that, 100%. Yeah. So I guess a similar question. Um, New distilleries um, producing some really interesting, cool stuff, but there are still legislative constraints around, you know, Scotch whisky whiskey production. 
Are there any elements of Scotch whisky production that you think could be relaxed or changed in a way that would open up the playing field even, even wider? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question, Stu. <clears throat> but I think if you look, again, it comes back to that old mindset that the industry kind of believed that the, that the laws were restrictive. Oh, no, we can't do that. The regulations say we can't do that. Oh, no, we can't do that. And you look at the regulations and there's loads of flex. The regulations don't say you can only use one type of yeast. You know, you know the, the regulations, you know, they don't dictate about, about a whole manner of... of, of doesn't, you, know, you can't use different rules of barley. Of course you can. There's lots of things that, that can be used. You can use rye, you can use different grains. Uh, and it was just this, oh, no, we can't do it. We've just got to keep, you know, the, the good ship scotch or, or the good train. I think it's more of a train than a ship. Yeah, it's more of a train than a ship. A ship kind of can deviate a bit. A train, boom, you know, that you, we've got to keep that, that train heading straight down those tracks, you know. Yeah. Uh, where, you know. Whereas now, I think distillers are going, oh, there is that flex. And the legislation is really important. And we won't get into legislation, jot it honestly. Uh, the legislation is really important. Uh, but there is flex. Is there one thing I, I would change? Uh, yeah. Probably oak, you know. Yeah, I'd like to see you, you, some you, of these you, chestnut casts being used again. Yeah, 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 yeah. using other types of weed, I think would be interesting. Other than that, you know, if you look at the rest of the world, you know, uh, the rum industry, you know, desperate to try and bring in legislation. You know, other whiskey industry, other whiskey industries, desperate to, or trying to bring in legislation. Everybody looks to Scotch whiskey. You know, the American single malt, uh, you know rules that are about, yeah, about to, mm. to go into law, they look to the SWA regulations. Everybody looks at it as being the gold standard, you know, mm. so I think we should stop kicking it, to be honest, because it's, it's a good piece of work. It's annoying sometimes, but it's a good piece of work. There are times now you should go pitch black. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Kind of moving on to something that we do on the show all the time is we're going to talk about what's uh, happening in the news with yeah, whiskey. Oh. Do you want to do a little drum roll? Here, Should we do it? Thank you very much. Uh, so one of the things that's just around the corner as we record this is David Stewart, MBE, is about to do 60 years with Balvenie, which is incredible. I know you and I have spent a bit of time with David. Uh, obviously, Mark Thompson in the room has as well, but incredibly humble guy. Uh, there's going to be some celebrations for him, so there's going to be a, a big... Uh, tasting for him at Whiskey Show, and then I know there's something going down in London for his 60th as well. But absolutely incredible, like 60 years with the same brand. Yeah, yeah incredible man. What, what a genuinely lovely, lovely man. He yeah. is, you know, you know, insanely modest. I still remember one of the nights going out with him and having quite a few drinks. I think we finished the night with some tequilas. And then he's like, eight o'clock in the morning, we're doing breakfast. I'm like, all right, David, no problem. Rocks up, suited, booted. Just like he'd never been out, you know. Still, still got it. Yeah, still got it. I remember uh, during COVID, I'd I'd gone through to the sample room at White and Mackay, and um, Mr. Patterson, of course, was was due to be there. So I was meeting up with him, and he, he forgot to tell me that he actually had an engagement in the office already. So I go in at about four o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon when everyone's meant to be at home, hiding away from COVID and everything like that. Especially, especially Richard, being in his seventies at the time, and I go up, and him and David Stewart are in the room. Thousands of samples out in front of them. All right, Daryl, sorry, I forgot to tell you, we've changed the time. And uh, David Stewart's like, how are you doing, son? I'm like, oh, it's nice to see you. I'm like, we're not even meant to be shaking hands here. We're not even meant to be in the same room. But there they two are making their own rules, just seeing what's happening, you know. Uh, but amazing, guys, it's the energy they have. The, um, you know, despite the, the decades of service they've got, they're still so passionate. Every yeah, day they're yeah. in first, probably last out. Give us time, you know, make sure we're, we're not making big mistakes and yeah. stuff, so it's always good. No, yeah. they're, they're amazing. I, mean, I remember doing tastings with David and, you know, him bringing out some, you know, astounding Balvenies and stuff. It's incredible, you know, and you're effusive about, you know, yeah. and you know, all these tasting notes suddenly babbling out. And he goes, aye, aye, it's quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> so true. One of the other things uh, where we Grant's related, actually, is, of course, the perpetual time series as well so we've got some very rare and special glenfiddichs coming out these days which which is really exciting i'm not just saying that because mark thompson's in the room i was gonna say it's, um, like, it's almost like it's sponsored by William yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's, what's <going> on here? <laughs> but it's uh no it's, it's brilliant news i mean i think we, we've seen glenfiddich 
do some brilliant things, especially over the last 10 or 15 years, I think. Um, really Absolutely. enjoyed a lot of the brilliant work that's gone into maybe slightly lower price points, but great to see some cool stuff going on at the higher price points. Um, the packaging for all that is just incredible. Yeah. The 50 year old, like that, it's recycled aluminium. Yeah, it looks uh, cool. Just yeah. absolutely insane. So, uh, did you bring the samples back from London? No, mate, I didn't. I no. drank them all. Sorry. Sound, that sounded <laughs> Well, you know, you always drink all your samples That's very and never true. share, so. That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I'm sitting here. Yeah, I know. Hold me back. <laughs> it's like a marriage counsellor. <laughs> <laughs> And the last thing, I suppose, in the last sort of two or three weeks we saw, and it's an interesting one because, again, it, it kind of divides opinion, is uh, the McAllen Horizon bottling, which is in partnership with, with Bentley, mm. who is their kind of strategic partner now. And, and we've seen that being executed on a, a couple of ways so far, but this will probably be the biggest way that they wear this piece on their sleeves. So um, Horizon really being the inspiration, the limitations and things like that. And a bottle that doesn't stand up it actually lies down, which is... Um, it's quite unusual. Um, I haven't held it, haven't seen a final prototype as yet, and I certainly haven't tried a sample, but uh, if anyone has, feel free to tell us how it is, is it? <laughs> I, uh, <Right>. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I suspected that reaction, <laughs> Mr. Brim, is it? <laughs> Are you saying that the cow is going to be like a bottle of iron brew? <laughs> <laughs> but what do you think of that, Dave, like this collaboration with whiskey and, and sort of luxury partnerships? Ah, you know, I mean, it, it's an interesting area, and it's you know, whiskey is playing in that, in that ballpark now, and mm -hmm. there are people with lots of money who want to buy expensive whiskeys, and that's great, uh, and I don't mind it. Mitch is one of them. Uh, Mitch is definitely. Uh, Mark Thompson's one of them. Yeah. Really. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't mind it. You know, the, the whiskey's playing in there. Why shouldn't whiskey play in there? What concerns me is whether that area, which is a small, rarefied element within the world of whiskey suddenly begins to influence the rest of it so mm. you know the, all the attention is, is paid towards that and that then affects prices and etc etc mm -hmm. et you know it's an interesting and esoteric area that kind of is, exists under its own rules but it shouldn't be it shouldn't be the tail that's wagging the dog of the whiskey industry mm. you know the whiskey industry is still built by Glenfiddich 12. Nice. Again, not sponsored by oh, William Grunner. Jeez, oh man, hey. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens when you turn up to stuff. We, we do your job for you. That's it. <laughs> Mark, Mark Thompson's now banned from any of these. <laughs> well, look, we've tried um, a couple of, well, we've tried one new player and we've tried, tried a couple of old ones. Uh, Johnny Walker and Highland Park being two of the more established uh, producers. The the last whiskey that we're going to taste tonight is, is Arden Merkin. Um, and it's a, I think Arden Merkin's a really interesting story. Again, um, well, I mean, Adelphi is a great independent bottler, and this is really one of the consequences of them doing a really good job on bottling some fantastic whiskies. So I think one of the things we do with people like Adelphi, Gordon and McPhail, is, is we trust them right. to not only pick great casks and put them into the bottle, I think we trust them to make great whiskey as well, because ultimately that's probably why they got into it. Um, so Arden Merkin is one of those that, again, you go back to a sense of place and we'll go back to the West Coast from the North Isles all the way back down to the Western Peninsula of Scotland to a, a really special place and a distillery, again, that that will have a huge impact on the community around yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the green credentials of it, you know, the, the, the biomass boiler, you know, using trees, using wood chip from trees grown on the estate, which and then there's a replanting programme going on. The draft feeding the cows in the estate, etc. The the barley coming from Alex's farms in, in Fife. You know, so everything is is a wonderful circle that, and your know, production restricted to the size that they are. They can't cannot make any more because if they had if they wanted to make any more, that would be broken. They would have to bring in fuel, etc., mm. etc. Cetera, et cetera, and, and that's not what they're about. And it's just bloody great whiskey. You know, and that's the point. It's just fantastic, fantastic. West Coast whiskey, you know, it's it's got that, it's got that dirtiness to it in the nicest possible way, and, you know. Like what do you Prince mean by Scotia, that, Dave? For Keep example, going. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's got that kind of Campbelltonian, yeah, yeah. you know, grit and oiliness to it. Yeah, it's a slightly sootiness, isn't it? Yeah, a, yeah, and you know that that kind of salty, briny thing, which they don't know where where it's coming from, but it's there. Again, peated, unpeated, blended together, kind of Japanese technique rather than a Scottish one. Mm -hmm. It just, you know, it, it came out of the blocks just boom. Yeah. As, you know. Yeah, I remember going there drum. a while back and just being all, 
you know completely blown away with yeah. what they were doing there. Yeah. And again, yeah, you know, cool the, the same thing about community. You know, you know, really establishing a community or re-establishing a community uh, in a place where. You know, a lot of people move to Ardmore Market <laughs> because it's quiet. You know? Yeah, they move to retire, not to retire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, you, know, so, you have to pick your retirement spot really wisely, <laughs> eh? just in case a wee distillery pops yeah. up and then all of a sudden it's a boom village. Yeah, you know what Mr. I mean? Bean yeah. living just down the road. Yeah. I shouldn't have told you that. Really. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Some so, interesting people. Dave, let's talk about it. Go back to the book for a second. Aye. When is this out? Uh, it's out uh, on the 29th of September. And everyone can buy it in any reputable bookshop online. And, and, and probably Amazon. disreputable bookshops as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, you buy it online, uh, you know, through your usual online uh, people. Uh, independent bookstores will support them wherever possible. Uh, there's an audio book <laughs> coming out. Nice. I, 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 I spent two days locked in a room uh, reading my own text, which was hell. Uh, especially when you, there's a glossary as well at the back, at the back of the book because it's kind of te technical terms. There's a lot of Scottish words. I suddenly realised there's a lot of Scottish words, and it took me ages to get through the whole glossary. But it was like three, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. Right. It, was, it, was, it was hilarious. Yeah. All right, That's so, the problem with a podcast. It doesn't come with subtitles, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, mate, moving away from the book, we're going to do a quick fire round on you. Now, we kind of told you what we were going to roughly do tonight, but we didn't tell you the quick fire round questions. No, so this is going to be uh, off the cuff. You're not, you have to answer these in four words or less. Is that right, possible? That's it. Yeah, well, I know it's going to be tough, man, but you're going to have to try. I'll do my best. you have to dig deep. Yeah. All right, so quick fire round, let's go. Um, what would you be doing if you weren't writing shite about booze? I'd write shite about music. Yeah. <laughs> Solid. All right. If you weren't in Edinburgh with us right now, in Scotland, you could go somewhere right now. Where would you go? Kyoto. Oh, nice. Okay, fair enough. That's far away. Okay. Where's that? As far, <laughs> as far away from you as possible. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. I don't blame you. Teleport to any distillery out with Scotland. Where would you go? Uh, Aurora, northern Norway. Who would, you who would you rather go on holiday with, me or Mitch? Oh. oh. I give good massages, by the way. You do. I, I, I can answer that. you tell everyone that. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch waxes his back. I'm not going on holiday. <laughs> holiday with both of you. Oh. Well, there you go. Very PC. Uh, Favourite whiskey writer, excluding Charlie McLean? Oh. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, Lou Bryson. Okay. Oh, nice. All right. Marooned on a Scottish island with a case of fine whiskey for the rest of your days. Who would you have with you and not your family? And, and they not, can be not, not, not your family. family. And they can be dead or alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. Grief. Oh, dear me. Not Barry Wilson either. <laughs> definitely not, not Barry Wilson either. <laughs> <laughs> Spent enough time with him. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just because it's in, in my mind, I, I, I would probably go for Neil Gunn. I think that would be hilarious. That would be good. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, guys, that kind of brings us to the end of what we're going to ask you, but I don't know, you guys have had some great questions already. I don't know if there's any other questions from the floor that anyone wants to ask Dave. When you were travelling on your road trip, was there one particular moment that, that will remain with you, whether it's part of the writing of the book or not, but you know, when you travel across Scotland um, with a purpose uh, to, to search these senses of place out, was there anything that happened? What's the standout memory that you'll think? You know, if it wasn't on that trip, that wouldn't have happened, and I won't have that memory locked away. Yeah, I, I think and it, it wasn't really a whiskey, a whiskey one. It was when Christina and I were in Harris, and we were down in Luskintyre. We were about to interview Donald John Mackay, who's is incredible uh, weaver, and we were just doing some photos. Well, she was doing some photos on the beach. We we're just out there on the beach, and this storm was coming in, uh, and it was just ridiculous. And she just screamed, "Well." You know, you know, Christina, she just screamed with laughter, kicked off her shoes, ran into the ocean, began snapping away. And you could just, in half, it, it, no word of a line, the photos in the book, half of the landscape was black and the other half was lit bright green and yellow and blue. And it was just like, Jesus Christ, you know, what is happening? You know, and that for me, that I will never forget that moment. 
And also later in that, that trip, again with Christina, a ra rainbow suddenly appeared because of the weather and stuff. She almost crashed the car. Rainbow! <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, we had a lot of kind of amazing, amazing, uh, amazing times. But yeah, it, it was those kind of non-whiskey bits of just laughing that, that came out. You know, staying for a weekend in a midge-infested castle in Ardnamurkin with Alex Bruce and family was just, just incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This kind of moth-eaten castle, it, it was hilarious. I've never seen so many midges, you know, you, you just kind of cleared the, the sink of them in the morning, you know, yeah. all the, you know, every surface was covered in dead midge bodies every morning, and this strange old deer hound, so this, uh, you, we just kind of wandered about, the, like the ghost of some, some ancient retainer, which <laughs> was just kind of lugubriously wandering through the, these, these echoing corridors and pissing on the carpet, you know? <laughs> 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 yeah. that, that's what I remember. That's, that's, no, way of, that's no way of speaking about Alec Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do you find that the, the new distilleries have the same transportative effect as some of the more historical ones? Because they don't have that same history. So I'm thinking Tarasco and Sky yeah. immediately transports that to bonfires on the beach or wherever sure. it may be. Do the new distilleries have that same effect for you? I, uh, I think they do. I think yeah. some of them do. You know, I think you know when when you taste, you know, again in Sky, if you taste Torre Vague, boom, you know, you are there. Yeah. You know, you're getting, you're there right in the seashore, getting, you know, drowned in in in, in sea spray. I, I think you're getting it with Ardna working as well. So yeah, yeah, it is. There's this weird thing uh, with the stories that that you know they 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 do what they want to do. You know they'll be set up. You know and they we're talking about levers and pulling levers. You can set up a distillery to do what you want it to do, and it will kind of go, yeah, I'm going to do it slightly differently, uh, and it's unpredictable. Uh, and you know, from a from a super geeky point of view, I, mean, I had this big conversation because there is geeky bits in the book as well as Gaelic poetry. Uh, a dead midges, but speaking with Stuart, who was at Brora uh, at that point, talking about uh, colonies of lactobacillus, you know, and each distillery has its own distinct colony of lactobacillus. And that is really important in fermentation. And that could be a signature, you know, of that distillery. That could affect flavour. It might affect flavour, might not. It might affect flavour. A lot of research going into that super geeky area. Uh, there's a sense of place, you know. Yeah, mm. And so, so yes... You know, the, the, the environment does play a part. So, yeah, I, I look forward to these distilleries. And I, I think they're conscious of it. Uh, and you could force it or you could just let it happen. Uh, look, thank you all for coming down. Thanks to those who are, are listening. A great wee tasting. A wee great. hop, skip and a jump from all different parts of Scotland. We went right the way up to Orkney. We went out to Rassay, down to Ardnamurkin and Johnny Walker. So we've been to the northeast in Kleinleash all the way through the rest of wherever those whiskies have come from and that, that old Johnny Walker gold label, which was really nice. But stay tuned for future episodes. Um, we've got much more to come, Mitch and I. Uh, this little hobby of ours, which started just as an excuse for us to have a couple of drams on a on a Tuesday night, has uh, snowballed into something a little bit more committed than that, um, yeah. uh, to the point where we have people like yourself, Dave, joining yeah, yeah. us, which is uh, very, very... Very nice, and it's lovely to see you. Thank you so much for well, joining us. Well, it's been an absolute treat. I've really, really enjoyed it. Mm. And, and thanks to, to all 300 of you for coming out. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. It's 312. <laughs> 312. <laughs> <laughs>